Thank you, worship team, for all the work that you guys put into practice and helping us worship our God through song. How about we spend some time in prayer? Father God, we just thank you for the chance we have to continue to worship you as we open up your word together. As your word is preached, Father, we just want to glorify you this morning through song, through giving, through the preaching of your word. God, I want to preach of you and praise you and praise your name. And Lord, I know that I don't have the ability to do it on my own. So Lord, by your spirit, help me to preach this word, this sermon with the power that is needed and the affection that is appropriate. Use this sermon to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. This past week, I was studying, and for today we're going to be talking about this big, evil, awful word called conversion. You laugh, but it's quite the dirty word in especially the church these days. There's a recent study that just came out uh, done about our, our younger generation, the millennials, that said that 47% of them thought that it was, let me get this word right, that almost half millennials, 47%, agree at least somewhat that it is wrong to share one's personal belief with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. Half. Half of the millennials think that it is wrong to seek to have someone converted. What's the point of this story? Conversion is kind of turned into this dirty word. It's scandalous. In today's pluralistic, relativistic world, to contend with one's religious truth over And against another, it smacks of pride. How dare you try and change someone's religious view? It's arrogant, it's disrespectful, maybe even hatred, maybe even sometimes violent. Some go further, of course. They say such attempts at diversion, i.e. conversion, actually breeds violence. In a publicized letter to Pope John Paul II, the Hindu scholar, his name, (laughs) argued that, quote, religious conversions destroys centuries-old communities and incites communal violence. It is violence and it breeds violence. I'm going to have to say this. As I read that statement, I was actually in agreement with it. Most ideas on conversion at the end of a sword is violence. It it breeds violence. If I come up to Dave with a sword at his throat and say, Dave, become a Christian. But the question is this. Is that what the Bible says conversion is? See, we have a world that's coming up that comes along and says, conversion is bad. But the question always has to be, 
what does the Bible say? How does the Bible define this? Why is it important? How does this happen? Because when we answer all of these questions, things begin to change, our mentality changes, and the word doesn't become so dirty anymore. It actually becomes something that we do because we love someone. So what does the Bible say? And as we, before we leave this place and we go, oh, those millennials, how dare they? I have actually found more recently that millennials just are actually verbalizing what everyone has been thinking and doing. So 47% of them say that they won't convert someone because they think it's bad. But almost 80% of them feel that they are equipped well enough to go tell someone about Jesus Christ. So before we go off and pitchfork all the millennials and tell them how lazy and useless they are, how about we ask ourselves this, when was the last time you told anybody about Jesus Christ? Because even though you may think that you want to do it, if you're not doing it, you're in the same category as the millennials who just verbally said no. So let's move on to what the Bible says now, okay? So what is it? What does it mean? If I want someone to be converted, what does it mean? Because history is full of awful examples of people trying to convert. We have the whole crusades are based upon this mentality of going and trying to convert people. There's religions based upon it. Christians are guilty of this too. Going into places and and, and forcing them to become Christian at the edge of a sword. So what is it then? Why does the Bible talk about it? And simply this. Conversion is when God brings what is dead to life again. Bringing repentance and faith. You notice that in that definition has nothing to do with manipulating someone into the faith. It has everything to do with what God has done and is doing in the hearts of that person. So how does it happen? Conversion does not mean that God helps those who help themselves. I can't stand that. God helps those who help themselves. What Bible are you reading? <laughs> like honestly, what part of that that smacks pride? God helps those who help themselves. At what point can a dead man help themselves? That's not what conversion means. The change we need is so radical that only God can do it. In conversion, God gives life to dead and sight to the blind. In conversion, God gives the gift of repentance and faith. So God comes along. And he begins to work in our hearts. He prepares that soil. He works at it. The Holy Spirit brings people into our lives and and circumstances that prepare that. And he does that by first giving life to death, to the dead. See, we weren't sick. We weren't sleeping or dying. We were dead. 
And God made us alive. We see that in John 3. Jesus describes this as being born again by the Holy Spirit. In, in conversion, God gives us new birth, enabling us to repent and believe the gospel. You needed a new heart in order to even make that step. Ephesians 2.5 says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. The Bible says that even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive. Conversion is when God brings what is dead to life again so that repentance and belief can happen. There's a thought out there that somehow you're the one that has to come and make, this, uh, make the decision. The problem is, is who's the one that initiates it? If the Bible describes you as dead, has anyone ever seen a dead body? Have you ever tried to have a conversation with them? Have you ever tried to see if they can, you know, like, can they get up and walk? They're dead. They're dead. There's no life. There's no ability for them to do anything. They needed to be brought back to life again. The Bible describes us as that. Second thing that God does in preparing people for conversion, he gives sight to the blind. We see this in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 to 6. I'm sorry, we're going to be bouncing around, so you're going to have to pay attention. It says this, and even, our, in our, <clears throat> and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Whoa. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. To keep them from seeing the light to the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let, there, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that just as God spoke light into darkness at creation, so now he has shone in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. How did you come to the understand and believe the gospel? God caused light to shine in your heart, creating a spiritual understanding where there was absolutely none. We need to understand this, that in this world, there's no seekers. There's no such thing as someone who's seeking after God. The Bible actually says very much the opposite, that we are all rebels, that we had nothing to do with him, that we hated him, that we don't want anything to do with the light. Yet God comes along, he shines light onto our hearts. He brings what was dead to life again so that we may believe. The third thing that he gives is this. He gives the gift 
of faith and repentance. We see this in Philippians 1, verse 29. For it has been granted to you. Do you listen to that? For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe. It has been granted to you to believe, but also suffer for his sake. That's another sermon, by the way. In Acts eleven eighteen says this. When they heard these things, they fell silent. This is Paul's account to the apostles of how God has been using him in the Gentile world. Those who aren't Christians. And it continues on. And they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, what? God has granted repentance that leads to life. So, God begins to prepare the hearts. He gives life to the dead. He gives sight to the blind. He gives the gifts of faith and repentance. And then he does this. This weird thing. God begins to use human means. See, it's not outside of the proclamation of the gospel that someone is saved. You can't be saved outside of the proclamation of the gospel without hearing the gospel. You can't. Romans talks about that. So someone actually has to go up to someone and tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ while the Holy Spirit has already been working in their hearts. And they respond. It's not outside of that proclamation. But here's a question that I often have had. But how do I know if that person is ready to hear the gospel? Right? At what point do I, at what point do I, am I having a conversation with someone and I go, okay, you know what, that one, that person, okay, God's worked in their heart, so therefore I'm just going to go for it, I'm going to give the gospel. You know, at what point do I know? How do I know that? The answer is pretty simple, actually. They're standing right there. They're standing right in front of you. Is God not sovereign? Has he not called us to go and make disciples? Oh, but I I don't know. I don't know if they're ready. I don't know if they're likely to accept that message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. Are you any more likely of being converted? Conversion is not only for those we think are most likely to be converted. Look at my life. I grew up in the church. If the church was open, I was there. It doesn't, like, I did everything. I was on the worship team. I was, you know, junior high, high school, Sunday school, this is back in the day when we had like morning and evening stuff. Like I was there. And believe it or not, I even wore a suit sometimes when I was a kid. I was the cutest kid. Anyway. <laughs> I grew up in the church. If it was open, I was there. My parents, my grandparents, missionaries, pastors, whatever you want. 
I got it. You know, Paul talks about his pedigree. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. Yet my heart was still stone. I was still dead. I needed to be saved. If you have a heart of stone, do you think that makes you a likely person for conversion? The answer is no. You're not. You have a heart of stone. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the dumps of this world or if you grew up in, in, the, in the most privileged of society. We all have the same status before a holy God. We desperately need to be saved. We have hearts of stone. We are dead. We are blind. So God needs to prepare our hearts. But as God is preparing our hearts, he sends us out there as well to proclaim the gospel. I needed to be saved. If you are spiritually dead, do you think that makes you a likely person for conversion? How many people, and I was convicted of this, how many people have you and I sinfully not witnessed to because we thought that they weren't likely? Think about it. Because they weren't likely. You see what happens when we don't have a biblical understanding of conversion? We begin to think that we know more. But what makes them any more likely than you and I? You're standing, you're not standing, you're sitting. I'm standing. In these pews, if you've confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've repented and believed, you're sitting there purely because it's a work of God. If you haven't repented and believed, I encourage you to repent and believe. Believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ died for your sins and he rose again. There is a holy God. You have sinned against that holy God. Because of that sin, because of that rebellion, which we all have done, your only right in this world is hell itself. Eternally. Forever. But the wonderful thing of this message is it starts with, it doesn't end there. It keeps going with a but statement. But Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, grew up, died on the cross taking on our punishments, grew perfectly, perfectly obeyed the law so that anyone who believes in him, who just rests who repents of their sin who acknowledges that they are sinful that they need a savior not maybe will be saved will be it's a promise it's a guarantee and it's guaranteed because Christ rose again so What makes them any more likely than you and I? We were all dead. We all had hearts of stone. It's only through God by his spirit that one is converted. 
Tell them the goodness of God. Call them to make the decision. Give them space. It's only through the gospel that Christ, that, uh, the gospel that Christ died for our sins and, and rose again that we can be saved. It is the good news. It is the best thing we've got. Like, think about it. You guys get a raise at work and you go tell more people. Christ saved you from hell. Should that not be something that you go out and tell more people about? Should it not be something that I go out and tell more people about? Should I not yell it from the... And yet we're worried that, oh, they're not likely. We need to proclaim it. I need to proclaim it. Let God be the one to worry about what happens to the seed. Let us sow. Let us just sow. Fifth thing is this. God delivers us. Conversion is like a military rescue in which God breaks us out of our imprisonment uh, to sin and delivers us into his glorious kingdom. Colossians 1.13 says this, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. The Bible says that he delivered us from the dominion of darkness. And he alone is the one who transfers us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So God is preparing those hearts. Conversion is when God brings what is dead to life again so that that person can repent and believe. So that you and I can. So that we can respond So we respond to God's preparation. See, God grants repentance and faith. So from a human perspective, conversion consists of repenting of our sin and believing in Christ. Yet scripture teaches that both repentance and faith come to us as a gift of God. Again, Philippians 1. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. We need to repent of our sin. I, um, Steph's reading this book. I call it a heresy book. But anyways. <laughs> no, she's not reading it by choice. So, uh, But it's been good because we've been able to talk about it. And this, this individual, this author, talks about how it's more of a passive thing, you know. I need to love people. I need to be a good neighbor to that individual. Um, and then I just kind of, you know, in five years or so, if the opportunity comes up, then I might share the gospel with them. Okay, yes, be a good neighbor. You're, you're called to be a good neighbor in the Bible, okay? There's nowhere in the Bible that says be a jerk, Right? You're, you're, you're told to be Christ-like where you are, to help the poor, to, to be a good neighbor. You're, you're called to do those things. But you know what Jesus also did? He called people to repent and believe. 
As he's healing people, he's telling them to do what? Sin no more. There is a tension that is created here. So we need to repent of our sin. Mark 1.15 says, this is Jesus. And he's saying this. The time is full, fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Salvation is only for those who repent. But it is for all who repent. Spurgeon said this on Psalm 24. Dear reader, it is possible that you are saying, I shall never enter into the heaven of God. I have felt like this, by the way. For I have neither clean hands nor a pure heart. Look then to Christ, who has already climbed the holy hill. You must repent and believe. Acts 3 verse 19 says, Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. The second thing that we need to do in response to God working in our hearts is we need to believe in Christ. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans 3.21-26 But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law... And the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forth as a, I love this word, a propitiation by his blood. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just. And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See conversion only happens in connection with the message of Jesus Christ. Conversion doesn't happen when we go to someone with their sword and say, convert. I do it. Or I'm going to chop your head off. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that way. We've seen modern examples of that. That's not how it works. When we look at the Bible... Conversion recognizes that only God can save. And that he saves individuals by enabling them to respond to the gospel message through repenting of sin and trusting in Jesus. It's not forcing someone to be a Christian, but God giving them a new heart to recognize their need for a Savior. You know, I don't... 
Conversion is when God brings what was dead to life. It's bringing, bringing repentance and faith. So let me talk about what it's not. It's not a one-time event with no implications of how we live. You don't get to say a prayer and then get to go live the re- life, your life the, rest, the way you want it for the rest of your life. Yeah. Conversion does happen at one moment. And it is a moment of radical change. Life should look different. The battle is just beginning. It's not a journey with no destination. Conversion may be preceded by a long process for some. If someone were to come up to me and ask me, Pastor Nate, give me the date and the time that you were saved. I'd be like, I have no idea. I said a prayer when I was five. But at what point was I repenting and believing? It might be a long process. But it always involves a committed decision to repent of sin and trust in Christ. Which is the immediate result of God giving new life to a spiritually dead sinner. I hope you see the beauty of this. It is not optional. You ever think about that? Acts 17.30 says that God commands all people everywhere to repent. Commands aren't optional. They're commands. Conversion can never be forced, but it's absolutely necessary in order to be saved. It is not a conversation. While Christians should communicate the gospel humbly, Our goal is not merely a pleasant exchange of information. We must call everyone to repent of their sin and trust in Christ for salvation. Here's the thing. This is what I don't understand. Maybe I do understand because I was here. I was there. I understand this. We don't like offending people. We're Canadian, right? We say sorry all the time. But here's the thing. We often say, oh, I, don't, I need to wait so I can become their friends, so I can tell them about Jesus. Or I just need to wait. You know, I love them. I don't want to hurt their feelings. You know, all these things. But here's the thing. If you love them, if you love them, what's the most important thing? Hell is real. Life is short. You love them? Probably the, the thing that you could do to show them that you don't love them is wait. To tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the good news. It's good. As long as we get it all. It's good. If you love that family member, if you love that neighbor of yours, don't wait. Go tell them. It's God who does it. What it is not, it's not saying a formulaic prayer. Conversion certainly contains praying, 
But we must be careful not to tempt people towards placing their trust in some special set of words. So what? Pastor Nate, we've been talking about conversion, this doctrine, this evil word. I hope you see that it's not ugly. It is ugly if you, do, if you treat it as something that the Bible doesn't say. So what? It displays the beauty of Christ. The most important thing about doctrine is not whether it's ugly or beautiful, but whether it is false or true. That said, the true doctrine of Christian conversion is just plain beautiful. I remember a few years ago, Joel was, you're not supposed to say kid's name, so I just made a mistake, but uh, one of my children, um, she, she, she was uh, studying chrysalids in school, so caterpillars um, making chrysalids. It was really cool and turning into a butterfly. And I, and I was looking up, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that thing. But sometimes, sometimes the butterflies, the caterpillars are still beautiful, and, and the butterflies are beautiful. So I googled ugly caterpillars, beautiful butterflies, and I found one. It was ugly. It looked like dead. It looked like something that should not be alive. But think about a caterpillar. There are some really ugly looking ones out there. Think about what happens though. After some time, things change. How is it that only one that can make, how is it that this ugly thing can turn into something so beautiful? Each of these transformations is beautiful in its own way. But they are also all beautiful in the same way. In so many nooks and crannies of creation, God has hardwired the revelation of his glory, which is brought to bear in the changing of spiritual death to eternal life. One of the laws of the natural world is that things left to themselves don't progress but regress. Everything dies. Yet in this very realm, God has encoded the beauty of change to something better here and there. Are these not signposts of the wonder of salvation? It displays the beauty of Christ. You were dead. Now you're alive. This is why we get to go tell other people about Jesus Christ. When we're telling our testimonies, we're not saying, look at me. We're saying, look at Christ." Look at how beautiful he is. Look at what he has done in my life. I want you to know him too. I was dead. Now I'm alive. In fact, conversion is bigger than this. It is beautiful in its simplicity, like we see in Romans 10, 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And in its complexity, think of Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. 
And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the princes of the power, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Not one of us is not guilty of this. Carrying out the desires of, our, of the body and the mind, and we by nature... Children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. Not a result of work, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. And this God, this marvelous, inscrutable, and holy God, knows us and loves us and chooses us and calls us and saves us. For God, who said, let, there, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For all the beauty of conversion, and there is still more to be explored for all eternity, it is sourced in and overshadowed shadowed by the beauty of God himself, whose glory extends without limits. For all time, as well as to us, that we should see it and know it, know Jesus and be changed forever. Conversion is when God brings what was dead to life again, bringing repentance and faith. And when we understand that this is what God's doing, it pushes us out. We go and we tell the good news. Conversion is a result from hearing the news, the good news. Therefore, we go out and we share it. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So here's a question. How do you know if a non-Christian is ready to hear the good news? He's brought them to you. We tell all the news. Conversion involves repenting of sin, which means we must tell the bad news before we tell them the good news. Why do they need to know the good news if they don't know why it's good news? We have all sinned, and the wages of sin is death. God will judge us for our sins. We need to rely upon God to convert and don't manipulate Only God can convert people by his spirit. I remember finding this book in in college, nonetheless, on how to evangelize. 
Step by step. It was like this little booklet on how to evangelize. They called it soul winning. And it came to this point where it was like, get them, like, like if, I, if Dave was standing right, I'm just going to keep picking on you. If he's just, you know, if he's standing right here, I'd grab my arm and I'd put my arm around him. And then I'd open my Bible. Like, I'm way in his space. Like, if someone came up to me and did that to me, I'd, I'd probably punch them. <laughs> right? Like, I got my personal bubble here. Like, don't. But you know what you're doing there? You're manipulating them physically. Right? Conversion is not manipulation. It's an act of God. Explain the necessary human response. Conversion involves human repentance and belief. So in evangelism, we need to explain that people must repent and believe in Christ. Explain the following Jesus is costly. There's a cost. Conversion is a radical you change. It requires forsaking self-rule for God's rule. And we were telling God the people, and when we were telling people the gospel, I need to make sure to explain that the choice to deny oneself and follow Christ should not be made without counting the cost. I made this mistake once. And I'll never do it again. I remember sitting in my office, this was years ago in Burlington, talking to a, a young man, he wasn't much younger than me. And I was telling him about the gospel. And he, he got it. I was like, sweet. Praise God. Look what I did. And then he began to struggle. And then he began to say things like, how this, this is costing too much. I have to give up my friends. No, thank you. There's a wonderful song called Doxology, not the old one, which is also a beautiful song, but the Doxology by a group called the Beautiful Eulogy. It goes like this. I will offer a sacrifice of praise. I know it's going to cost me. The cost is not greater than the cross where you bought me. I was lost and you sought me. I was ignorant and you taught me. I was impotent against my enemies and you fought for me. I existed for your glory, never for mine. I know I never would shine if it wasn't for your spirit inside. You made me alive when I was dead in trespasses. The passion of Christ left, left on my sin in the past tense. Every good and perfect gift comes from your hand. You set me back on course when I run from your plan. No excuse, no refuse to lift my voice. Because the gospel is true. There's always a reason to rejoice. And that doesn't mean that my sorrow is going to go away. But when I grieve, I got a greater joy in the midst of it. The joy of knowing I will see you face to face. And it's all to the praise of your glorious grace. 
You know, some people might say, Pastor Nate, I'm kind of getting tired of hearing the gospel, and I'm telling you right now, you're, not, you're going to be sick of it for a long time. The gospel is for everything. Conversion is when God brings what was dead to life again, bringing repentance and belief. So Pastor Nate, how do I know if I'm truly converted then? First John gives a pretty good outline of that. He gives four tests. The belief test is the first one. First John 5 verse 1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So ask yourself this. Do I trust in Jesus Christ for salvation? There's the obedience tests. 1 John 1, 6-7. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So ask yourself, Does my life show a pattern of habitual and unrepented sin? Or a repenting of sin and striving to walk in the light? Be murdering that sin or it will murder you. It's the love test. Not like the other love test. You remember those things at the bowling alley where it's like, what type of... eh. First John 3, 14 and 15 says this. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And, he, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So ask yourself this. Do I love other Christians in concrete ways that show the reality of my faith? I don't understand people who call themselves Christians and don't love to be with other Christians. The perseverance tests. 1 John 2.19 They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they, are, that they all are not of us. Those who do not persevere in the faith prove that their faith was a fault in the first place. So ask yourself, am I continuing in the faith despite struggles and opposition? Notice I didn't say that life will be easy. Notice I didn't say that there is no struggle. The struggle is real. If you're not struggling in your faith, I have other concerns. If you think about conversion outside of what the Bible says, it's a pretty ugly thing. But the Bible displays it as the beauty of Christ. It portrays the glory of God as he takes what was dead and makes it alive again. Conversion is when God brings what was dead to life, bringing repentance and faith.
Let us continue to praise our awesome God today.